Amen. What a mighty God we serve. (laughs) You know, I saw the light. No more darkness, no more night. I mean, what what a blessing it is to know Jesus in a very personal way. That he's our personal Savior. He saved us. And what a joy that is. You know, this morning I want to share with you out of Ephesians chapter 4 something that God has put on my heart. And I, I know that uh, as we think about renewal of the church, um, you know, my prayer is, is that as we are renewed within ourselves and within the church body, that we will be renewed in our homes and that our, our country will also be renewed. I think it's very important you know, the, the words, e pluribus unum, it appears on the great seal of the United States. E pluribus unum. And until 1956, that was the unofficial motto of the United States. But in 1956, the official model, motto of the United States became, in God we trust. In God we trust. E pluribus unum, while it's not the official motto of our nation, it still appears on our great seal and on other currencies and other documents of our nation. You know, this e pluribus unum, it's a Latin phrase, and it means out of many, one. Out of many, one. Or one from many. And this phrase pictures really the United States as a melting pot. People from all different walks of life. People, it envisions our nation as one nation made up of many individuals. And while there is this diversity and division among the people that make up the United States of America, at the end of the day, we are all still Americans. We are one union. And regardless of the the, the country of our origin, the, the color of our skin, the type of politics we embrace, or where we stand on social issues, we are one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Folks, I believe that. And my prayer is that we, as God's people, would believe that. See, the United States is a unity that is made possible by and in spite of great diversity. We are one. You see, what I want you to see this morning is that that phrase, out of many, one, could also be applied to the church. I mean, Paul tells us that we are one in the Lord. That we stand together as one in the Lord. That we are of the same body. (laughs) I love that. We're all part of the body. We're the same body, we're indwelled by the same spirit, we share the same hope. We have the same and serve the same Lord. And we believe the same faith, 
We've experienced the same baptism. And as children, we have one heavenly father. I love that. See, in his letter to the Ephesians, Paul reminds them and he reminds us that we are rich beyond measure. That we are rich beyond measure, but we are living like beggars. Because we don't understand. We're ignorant of our spiritual wealth. See, in chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians, it was, he, he's writing and it, it's about understanding our spiritual wealth. Really looking at our heavenly bank account. And he's saying, look how wealthy beyond measure you are in the spirit. You have all things that you need beyond anything you could possibly think or ask. And then in chapter 4 through 6, it's about understanding our spiritual walk. How we should behave ourselves. Knowing that we have one heavenly father. Knowing that we belong to him. You know, Warren Wiersbe, he says this. He says, the Christian life is compared to a walk because it starts with one step of faith. It involves progress and it demands balance and strength. Because, folks, if we don't learn how to walk, we certainly will not learn how to run. Nor will we be able to stand in the battle. All of those are encompassed in that walk. Read with me, if you will, in Ephesians chapter 4. I want to I start with verse 4, and I want to read down through verse 6, and then 11 through 16. So beginning in verse 4 of chapter 4 of Ephesians, Paul writes this. He says, there is one body and one spirit. Just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Verse 11 says, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children. Tossed here and there by waves and carried by every wind of doctrine. By the trickery of men, by the... by. Excuse me, by craftiness in deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Let's pray. 
Lord, I thank you for this time. And I I thank you for your word. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just illuminate your word for us today. Father, that that the things that that we have uh, walked and maybe not have been uh, lit up for us would today be lit up so that we might see them clearly. Father, that you would just show us and reveal to us your word and what your word has for each of us. And I pray, Father, that you would do this by your power and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. See, I'd submit to you today that what you believe, that what you believe is basic to the renewal of the church. What you think about and what you believe about God's word, what you believe in here is really what is important when we talk about renewal of the church. See, if we are to be equipped for ministry today, if each one of us is to be prepared and equipped for ministry, then we must know what we stand for. We must also know what we stand against. And we must also know what we stand on. It's important that we know that. See, what we believe will ultimately determine what we do. What we believe will ultimately determine what we do. So it matters what you believe. I mean, the Bible speaks of a general faith. You know, something that everyone has. Even Satan. He believes and trembles. It also speaks of faith that is a saving faith. A type of faith that saves us. If you go back in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So it speaks of a general faith, it speaks of a saving faith, but it also speaks of what I call the faith. And basically it is the truths that have been revealed through Jesus Christ and through God's word which we have accepted. These truths that we, that we accept. And you see, it's, it's not enough that they are just intellectually grasped. But they also have to be personally and spiritually received. Because we can know about things, but that's different from making them ours. See, Jude verse 3 says that we are to contend for the faith which has once for all been handed down to the saints. In other words, you have this truth. This body of truth, this, the, the, the truth of God's word, you have it with you, but it's been handed down and delivered to the saints, and so it matters what you believe. See, we're bombarded every day in all of the media, in all of the, the internet, and in all the other things that we look at that want to attack the truths that we know that have been handed down by faith and through faith to us. And it's easy for us to get that mixed up where we take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and now we no longer have the truth. We have contaminated truth. 
We have something that is not the truth. It's different from the truth because we've mixed it with other things. So I ask you. I'm making a comment here. It matters what you believe. And there's four questions that I want to ask you this morning about what you believe that need to be seriously considered and answered. You need to work through these questions. And, and, and the first one is this. Is your faith really your faith? Is what you believe really what you believe? See, is it your faith or is it your parents' faith? I don't care if you're 50, 60, 70 years old. It still may be your parents' faith. But is your faith really your faith? What is it that you believe? Is it, is it your friend's faith or is it yours? Is it your faith or is it just a doctrine of the church? Because there's a huge difference here. I mean, has the faith really become yours? Have you, have you taken it in? Have you made it your own? Or is it kind of like the sign in the bookstore that said... Secondhand theology for sale. <laughs> Folks, we don't need secondhand theology. We need a first edition. We need, to, we need to know that it belongs to us. You see, this faith must become ours. It must become ours by personal experience. <laughs> I am so glad that my wife is really my wife. That makes me happy. I mean, I am hers and she is mine. See, there was a time when I knew about Tracy, but she wasn't mine. But I know that today she is mine. See, it's not enough for us to say, I know the truth of God's word. But have you made it yours? Can you say it's my truth? See, the world wants to say, oh, it's not. It, it might be truth for you, but it might not be truth for me. Uh -uh. This is absolute truth. And it will be for all people for all time. In every situation. You see, you cannot get away from that. And the thing that I'm saying today is, is your faith really your faith? I mean, can you say this truth is mine? I mean, we sing a song. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation. That means I've got an inheritance. Heir of salvation. <laughs> I love this. This says, purchase of God. Purchase of God. Born of the Spirit. Washed in His blood. Amen. Oh, I saw the light. I was on the road. I saw this blinding light and I met a man and he changed my life and I went in a different direction. 
That's Paul's story. That's my story. That's your story if that truth is yours. If you know Jesus in your personal way. See, if we are growing in Christ, the truths of God's word become real. And the Holy Spirit illuminates them in our minds. I realize this. You know, you can know about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can have head knowledge about that. But then you come to believe it and know it personally in your heart. The work that the Holy Spirit does in your life. Is your faith really your faith? See, I believe that if every one of us believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there would not be enough seats in this building because we would be telling everybody we know that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and the same power that raised him from the dead is going to raise me from the dead but you see we can be so melancholy with it if that doesn't get you excited I don't know what will you want him to write it in the sky we wouldn't believe it See, we have to make it ours. Secondly, I would say, is your faith working? (laughs) Ask yourself this question. What is my faith accomplishing? What is my faith accomplishing? Does it have power in your life? Does your faith have power in your life? I mean, a real faith will meet your personal needs. You say, well, I don't know, preacher. No, a real faith will, will meet your personal needs. I mean, faith determines how we live. It determines where we stand. And it determines what we do. And it provides that foundation that can withstand the storms of life. We're all going through something. If you're going through something now, say amen. Yeah. Amen. Because we know the storms of life. A real faith will meet your personal needs. You remember in in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talked about a, a, a wise man and a foolish man. And he said, the wise man built his house upon the rock. He said, the ones who hears my words and do these words are like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And when the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against it, nothing happened to that house because he built it on the rock of Christ Jesus. But he also said the foolish man is like the man who built his house on the sand. And when the rains fell and the floods came and the wind blew, great was the loss because there was no foundation. See, a real faith will meet your personal needs. A real faith will give you something to share. When we truly believe, we witness for him in whom we believe. I love that in 2 Timothy 1.12. Paul writes this, he says, For this reason I also suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him 
until that day. For I know whom I have believed. You see, people everywhere need help. People everywhere need help. People are lost from God. They're lost from their families. They're lost from their church. They're lost from themselves. And they need God's direction. Do you? Do you have a word for them? I don't want them to think I'm a fanatic or anything, Brother Ridge. I don't want them to think that I'm weird or anything if I say something about who my Savior is and what Jesus Christ has done for me. But you see, a real faith will give you something to share. I mean, do you know how to share Christ with someone? Do you know how to bring them to a point of accepting Him as their Lord and Savior? Is your testimony on your heart, on your mind, ready to share? See, some of us need to sit down and think about that and write it down. Process through it so that we have something to share. When, when, when somebody asks us the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, where it came from and how they can have it, we have to be ready to share. Because it matters what you believe. Do you know some verses that you can point them to and say, you know what? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I mean, these are things we have to be ready with. A real faith will give you something to share. So, is your faith really your faith? And is your faith working? And is your faith basic? I mean, think about this. We try to complicate things many times. But I want to tell you something. The distinction between an opinion and a conviction is that an opinion is something that you hold while a conviction is something that holds you. A lot of people have opinions, and they're very readily willing to share it with you without even asking. I don't want to know what your opinion is. I want to know what your conviction is. I don't care what you think. I want to know what you believe. That's what's important to me. Because what you believe will ultimately decide what you do. I think this is very important because I want to ask you, how many convictions do you have? Oh, people are spewing opinions about all kinds of things. But what is their conviction? What is that thing that is holding them and gripping them? See, a basic Faith is composed of convictions. And a basic faith consists of beliefs that really matter. I mean, it matters what you believe about Jesus Christ. It matters what you believe about how he relates to salvation, to victory, to destiny, to the church. 
It matters what you believe about God's word. Someone said, well, how do we know that the Bible is true? Folks, you have to believe that this is God's word. I know one thing. I've got a lot of books in my library. And none of them have kept speaking to me over and over and over again like this one. There's something special about this book. And I would say that it is the word of God. It is God's. The very breath of God is this word. He tells us how we can live, how we can know him. That's a conviction. I mean, do you truly believe God's word? And if so, if you do believe that it's God's word, then why, oh why, don't we obey it? See, it matters what you believe about the Holy Spirit. It matters what you believe about salvation and the church and the basic doctrines of the Bible. It matters what you believe. And you see, a personal, a, a, a basic faith is personal. And when I say that, I, I want to say, what do you believe? Not what does the church teach, not what does the church believe, but what do you believe? Because each one of us is going to stand on our own before Almighty God. Oh yeah, he will judge the church, but he's going to judge you and I as the church. Think about this. We are the bride of Christ. I'm not going to answer for Paul. I'm not going to answer for someone else. I'm going to answer for Ridge Adams because I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, a basic faith is personal. And we need to know what we believe about that. But I want to tell you one more thing. Is that a basic faith is a faith worth dying for. Amen. I mean, would you die for what you believe? If you were to take a piece of paper and a pencil and, or a pen and write down what you believe. About God, about Jesus about the church, about his word, about sin, about salvation. Would you die for that? Because I would submit that a real faith is something worth dying for. I mean, many people have. We read about Stephen. We read about Paul. We read about Polycarp. Ages past. More recently, we read about Bill Wallace or Jim Elliott in our lifetime. And countless others who are being persecuted and martyred in the Middle East and other places around the world. Happens a lot. A lot more than we want to realize. But what do you believe? What is it that you hold that you would die for? Because I believe that a real faith is worth dying for. Fourthly, I would say this. Is your faith Christ-centered? Because the foundation of our faith is Jesus Christ. We call him the cornerstone. 
The one that everything else is, is in line and plumb with is, is Jesus Christ. The disciples stood firm on Jesus' testimony of who he is. <laughs> they had the Old Testament. They saw the prophecies. They read them. But their walk of faith began with an encounter with Jesus Christ. <laughs> See, they met him and they followed him. And he changed their lives. The earliest known confession is Jesus is Lord. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, he is the center of our faith. You know, this, this, uh, this acid test, if you will, of, of genuine saving faith is spiritual maturity. It's the growing in Christ-likeness. It's the stature of the fullness of Christ. How are we becoming more like Christ? See, it's not enough just to be orthodox. <laughs> We're to be Christ-like. Folks, this is what it means to be renewed in our faith. And, you know, I I read verses 11 down through verse 16. And I just want to say that pastors, pastors are called and they they prepare and they equip. They have a, a, a ministry in the church. But you need to understand that all of us have a ministry in the church. I mean, verse 12 Chapter 4 of Ephesians says, And he gave some to be pastors and teachers to equip, to prepare God's people. And this word prepare is the same word that is used in Matthew chapter 4, verse 21, when James and John were preparing their nets. (laughs) Think about this. That means they had to clean all the seaweed out of them. That means they had to uh, stitch up the sections that were torn. It means they had to untangle them and get them ready to be used again at a moment's notice. We're going to prepare so that we will be ready, so that we will be equipped, so that when we see the opportunity, we will cast the net and it will go and catch fish. I think that's important. You know, in the classical Greek, the word was used... For setting a bone in order to put it back into proper alignment with the body. We don't like the sound of that snap when it snaps back into place. But you know what? Sometimes members of the body get all disjointed. They need to be put back into place. So that the body can heal. So that the body can Work and be involved in service. See, pastors are to, pre- are, are to repair what's broken as well as preparing and equipping and supply what's missing so that you can be strengthened to serve. Because this passage says that servants serve. I mean, look at the, the, the next phrase in verse 12. It, it talks about for works in service, for works of service. And the preposition translated for is really the word into. Those who are equipped go 
into ministry. Those who are equipped go in to service. (laughs) See, we mistakenly speak that only our pastors or missionaries go into the ministry. But folks, every member of the family of God is a minister. And every saint is a servant. One who serves. I mean, 1 Peter 4.10 says, Everyone should use whatever gift he's received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in various forms. So when pastors do what they have to do and people do what they're called to do, these verses say that our gifts lead to growth. Our gifts lead to growth. Real quickly, let me give these to you. The first one is the body will be built up. Two words here, uh, the the words to and the, building up of the body of Christ, really um, refer to the purpose behind serving. So if we are serving, it's for the purpose of building up the body. I love that. Because you need to understand that the body needs to be built up. Aren't you glad that your hands bring food to your mouth so that your body can be nourished? I mean, some of us have been nourished a little too much. I get it. Others of us need to be nourished a little more. But, you know, that's the body taking care of the body. And the body needs to take care of the body. And, folks, there is a direct connection between regular service being involved in ministry, and church attendance. If we're not serving, a lot of times we're not coming. But if we are serving, then a lot of times we are in attendance. You see, giving increases as involvement in serving increases. And what happens is, is we have what we call buy-in. We get involved in the ministry... And we start serving and we get active and we want to be a part of that beyond just what we can do. We want to leave a legacy like Diane was talking about earlier. And so we give. Because we want it not just for us and not just for now, but for ongoing. Putting it towards eternity. The body will be built up. Secondly, we'll experience unity And this word attain and reach, unity, refers to the travelers arriving at their destination. It's talking about a journey. We arrive at unity. And, you know, sometimes the disunity that we experience results from when people sit on the sidelines. They aren't involved. They sit on the sidelines and they talk about needs rather than being sacrificial in their serving and serving the needs of others. So we'll experience unity in this, but we'll also have a renewed relationship with Christ. We've been talking about renewal. We've been talking about being renewed. And I love this because he talks about having this renewed relationship with Christ, that we fall in love with Jesus all over again. We're with him. You know, in the Bible study that's called Follow Me, the number one factor in moving people deeper in their relationship with Jesus 
is that they are regularly serving in a ministry somewhere. If you're not plugged in, you're probably not walking as close to Jesus as you could be. We will also have a mature membership. I mean, he talks about becoming mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I mean, that we'll no longer be children. (laughs) You know what kids do, right? Gimme, gimme, gimme. It's all about them. We'll no longer be children. If we want to grow as a church, we have to be involved in giving of our time and our talents and our treasures. And we could say it like this. If you want to grow, then you must give what you've been given. Use what the good Lord gave you. He gave you gifts. Use it in serving the body. We will also experience spiritual stability because we're no longer children. We've been grown up. The the spiritual stability comes when we're sold out in our service. All pulling in the same direction, all going the same way, running hard after Jesus Christ, wanting to be his hands and feet and seeing what he is doing in our community and in our world. I'm really proud of our college students for for wanting to launch out and go on a mission trip and go help people who were flooded out in Houston last year. What a blessing. Giving their time. Lastly, I would say this. When we do this, it says in verse 16 that we will be, the church, the body will be building up of itself in love. Folks, we're going to be linked together in love. I mean, if we want Memorial to grow in love, then we must live lives that serve others. It's only as each, work, each part does its work that we're going to grow and be built up in love. But here's the bottom line, and this is what I'm trying to say and not doing a very good job of it. We're looking for servants, not superstars. We're looking for servants, not superstars. We're looking for people that have something to contribute, not consumers. There's a difference. You see, the reality is is that some people like to just eat and run. They come on Sundays, they grab a meal, they get something out of it, and then they're gone and we don't see them until next Sunday morning. But folks, we're the church all week long. 24-7, 365 days a year. We are the church. We're looking for servants. We're looking for contributors. See, the whole idea of just showing up on a Sunday morning and grabbing a quick bite and leaving would be totally foreign to the early church. See, we've made it something that it was never intended to be. I'm glad that you're here. I want you to be here. I'm delighted that you come to sit under God's word and to hear it. But folks, we got to do more than sit and soak. When we sit and soak, we sour Put into knowledge, put into service what you're using, what you're learning. 
and get after it. You know, some, one, summing this up, one pastor wrote, he said, God gave me a gift, not for me, but for you. And God gave you a gift, not for you, but for me. If you don't use your gift, then you're depriving me. And if I don't use my gift, then I'm robbing you. You see, we are all one body. And it takes all of us living out our faith every day, every moment, the rest of our lives. Let's pray together. Loving Father, I thank you for this time. And Lord, I thank you that you gave us Jesus Christ to be our Savior and Lord. Father, by his sacrifice, he paid our debt that we couldn't pay. And Father, my heart is just to spend the rest of my life serving you. Father, not making it about me, but serving you, loving you. And loving those around me, Father, the, the, the neighbors that you give me. Father, in our church family, in our community, in our neighborhood, wherever you take me, Father. And Lord, I pray that that would be the same for each one of us who call on the name of Jesus. Father, that we would desire you more than the things of this world. Father, that our faith would be real, it would be ours. Father, that we would not rely on the church, but Father, that we would be an asset and a benefit to the church. Father, that we could help build it up by our service. Father, whether that's teaching or preaching or singing or or sharing a meal or inviting people or helping them or visiting them or writing letters or however it is that we serve others. I pray, Father, that you would lead us to do that with reckless abandon. Father, that we would give all that you have given us back to you. And Father, that you would take it and use it and break it and bless it. And Father, that the church, your bride, would be built up. Father, that that we would see renewal in each of our lives and in the life of our church. Father, that we would see the resurrection of Christ in other people's lives because of the transformation that has taken place. Father, may we be lulled to sleep by the world no longer. But God, I pray that you would revive us. I pray for an outpouring of your spirit upon your people. I pray that you would make us a people of convictions that are willing to stand, that are willing to die, Father, for what we believe. Father, we need that kind of steel put into us through your word, through the the renewing of our mind. God, that there would be nothing that would take away 
that like Paul, at the end of each of our journeys, we would be able to say, I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I kept the faith. Lord, may that be true of each of us. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would quicken our hearts, that even in this moment, Father, that you would shine your light. And Father, if there are areas of our hearts that are not surrendered to you, that we would just give that to you. That your Holy Spirit would drag it to the light, that we might confess it. And Father, that times of refreshing, times of revival, times of renewal would come to us. And Father, that we would be transformed in our walk with you. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We ask that you would guide us in this time of response. You are a mighty God. And clearly we bow before you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, my invitation for you is simply this this morning. You know, maybe God has spoken something to your heart. Maybe he has revealed something. Maybe he's spoken a word. Maybe a word of salvation. Maybe a word about plugging in and getting involved. Maybe a word about service. Whatever the Holy Spirit is dealing with you on this morning, all I can say is surrender. Let him do what he wants to do in your life. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing together. And as we do, this is an opportunity for you just to to give it to him. Maybe you want to come forward and pray. Maybe you want to pray with someone. You come and do that during this time. If you don't know Jesus, I would love to introduce you to him. But you come, whatever he's putting on your heart.